Am I live? There we are. Welcome, everybody, to City Life. It's good to see your faces again. We had a lot of fun. If you weren't here last week, you missed out. We celebrated the 4th. We called it Fun Before the 4th. Had an abbreviated service, went outside, watched a movie on the lawn. Kids were bouncing off the walls in the inflatables for forever, it seemed. And uh, I remember somebody said, like, church should be like this every week. Uh, there's a, a shorter sermon, and you just go outside and have fun. And I didn't take offense to that. Actually, tonight, that's what I want to do. I, I don't want to be up here too long because I want at the end of this service to have some time to pray together as a church. So I, I don't want to be up here forever, but also just to encourage you guys, we have an opportunity every week after church to connect with people. What I love about Saturday night church is you have an opportunity to go out to dinner, supper, wherever, get Thai food, Mexican food, whatever floats your boat, Italian. There's, there's a lot of restaurants. We're slowly, Steph and I, discovering all the good restaurants here on the south side. But I just want to encourage you, let's take advantage of that opportunity and connect with some of the faces that maybe you don't know, maybe you know just a little bit. And let's sow into relationship. Let's sow into unity because the church these days, we need to be in the business of building bridges and, and sowing into unity, uh, honestly, now more than ever. You know, there's, there's power in an invitation. How many of you guys have ever gotten an invitation to something that was deeply meaningful, maybe a, a wedding or a ceremony? Um, any specific examples in your lives? I know for me, anybody? Before I just jump in, right? For me as a youth pastor, anytime a youth would save tickets for Steph and I to go to the graduation, because they only get but a few, that, that meant a lot to me. And... Uh, I know there's a lot of youth that are, like, waiting in line and elbowing each other to get to the front of the line to babysit Titus when we finally adopt him and bring him home. So they're waiting for that invite, and then I kind of dread the invite when I start getting wedding invitations to, like, these freshmen in high school that I used to know. Not looking forward to that. That'll just make me feel quite old. But, you know, there's a, there's a powerful invitation in Scripture. I believe uh, Jesus Christ gives one of the most meaningful invitations we'll ever get. And it's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29. It says, then Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Again, that's an invitation that needs to be heard now as much as ever. You know, with the events that happened this week in Louisiana, Minnesota, in Dallas, uh, many of us and the people around us that we call family are weary, burdened, cried up, and in need of rest. And, you know, just going through this week and reflecting on Scripture, there's a, a cry of the prophet Habakkuk in, in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, that sounds like it could have been written this week, during this week's events. Again, it's Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, and it says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, that there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. But the Lord replied, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Now, some would say, and it's true that this word, this prophecy was for a, a specific day, as it says in this verse, a specific people at a specific time. But as we were just worshiping in that song, he, he's, what did it say? That he's the God 
age to age, same yesterday, today, forever. The same God that spoke this in this instance is still in the business of replying to our cries. He's still in the business of doing something that is unbelievable. He's still in the business of piercing darkness. He's still in the business of bringing unity out of division. He's in the business of doing his biggest work when things seem most broken, and he's still in the business of using his people, the church. You know, our country's in a, in a pivotal season, and I believe because of that, our church is in a unique and pivotal season. We as a church have to be courageous enough to realize that we have a call to play a role in this season. The church, God's church. But that role needs to be walked out with grace-filled humility. Humble reliance on God and a humble posture towards our fellow man. You know, we've been in a series called Big Enough for Both. And the big idea in this series is don't put a, an or where God has put an and. Where he's shown that he's big enough for both. If, if we put an or where God has put an and, we'll limit him and what he wants to do through us. We're talking about not making truths that, that are complementary contradictory, pitting them against the other. Because like complementary colors together at full intensity that create white light will only shine our light if we take up both and. And we've talked about a couple, grace and truth. Come on, our culture right now needs a lot of grace and it needs a lot of truth. It's, it needs both, not either or. We talked last week about freedom because it was July 4th and then restrictions and boundaries, how we need both, not either or. You know, together, not separate, these truths show us the fullness of who God is and how we walk in the fullness of his truth. When we make them contradictory and not complimentary, we limit God and his glory. You know, I had a sermon all outlined, ready with my two opposite truths. I had my points. I had like it was, it was beautiful. It, I'll preach it later this summer. Because I like to have my sermon ready by late Tuesday, early Wednesday. Because then when I'm meeting with y'all, I'm not distracted in the back of my head thinking of sermon points. When I'm doing admin, I'm not distracted by my sermon. I told Jason Kearney once, he's on the governance team. He's part of my accountability. He just walked in that door. But I told Jason once that, hey, you know, pastors have something called a Saturday night special where, like, you haven't prepared You've been reckless, and this Saturday night, you're, like, writing your sermon for Sunday morning, hoping something hits that morning. That's just pastor lingo. I told Jason, if I'm ever, like, writing Friday night specials and that's my habit and my routine, fire me. You know, because I believe that God wants to speak every week, and I don't take that lightly. You know, this isn't my pulpit. This is God's pulpit. I believe he wants to speak every week, and in a week that we just went through in our country, I believe he wants to speak a word tonight. And to be honest, <laughs> it's one where I just ditched that sermon I had and. I was up late last night, probably why I can't keep my voice right now. Um, so, I, it, sorry, Jason, it was a Friday night special. But I believe God would say again tonight, he'd say the same thing, I'm big enough for both. I'm big enough for both. Wherever our culture has drawn a line in the sand, creating us against them division, God's grace is big enough to reach people and save people on both sides. God's big enough for all. God wants to see all saved and none perish through the saving power of his gospel. No matter how many lines got added into the sand this week, his grace is for every gender, every race, every socioeconomic status, every political stance, every person he created. You know, where we draw lines in the sand and paint us versus them, he wants by the blood of Christ for his church to work towards we. Opposites, opposition, finding reconciliation under the blood of Jesus Christ through the gospel. You know, the enemy loves division. He loves division. I'm sure he's celebrating this week as there's more and more division. But it's not new to this week. From The gospel tells us from Genesis that it, from the very literal fruit in the Garden of Eden, division has been the fruit of sin. We've been alienated. 
exiled from Eden, separated from perfect relationship with God, and that alienation has a domino effect in our lives. We're psychologically alienated within ourselves, suffer from guilt and shame. We're socially alienated from one another. You look at Adam and Eve when they start tossing blame back and forth for what happened. There's division there. We're even physically alienated from nature and the curse, painfully toiling over the ground, physically weakening with age, even to death. You know, separation from God and alienation as man is a result of the fall. And in light of, in the midst of all this alienation, all this division, we as a church had to be courageous enough to realize we have a call to play a role of reconciliation. But we had to be humble enough to realize it's not going to come through overpowering force, but by God's grace. The invitation we read in Matthew 11, again, Jesus said, take my yoke upon me. Let me teach you. Because who is he? I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You know, the voice of reconciliation isn't going to be an overwhelming roar, but it's going to be a humble invitation. Movements with their rallying cries, they come and go. But the church is called to steward the gospel in our culture in every season. The cultural climate we're in now needs it more than ever. And part of stewarding the gospel is to be a voice to the truths that are inherent in the gospel. And just real quick, there are three truths that we need to champion in this season, really in every season, but even louder now. And the first is this, that life is sacred. God created man in his image. God created you in his image. God created me in his image. In that is priceless value from the womb all the way to the tomb. You know, if we call ourselves pro-life, but we're not shaken to the core and emotionally distraught over the lives that were lost all throughout last week, then maybe we need to broaden the definition a little bit. Life is priceless from the womb to the tomb. You know, Steph and I have this set of china that somebody was so generous, gave to us, that uh, is worth hundreds of dollars, according to whoever says what it's worth. Because Steph is the ultimate Craigslist queen the, the trash and treasure hustler. She's like, grade eight yard sales. We cannot sell that china to save our life. And you realize the reality of, of cost is something's value is ultimately determined by what somebody will pay for it. You know, we believe, though, that Jesus died for every person that takes a breath that we pass every day. Every face we see on the news, no exception. They're all image bearers made in the image of God, purchased by the blood of his son. Their life is sacred. Their life and life experience has value. That's the first truth we have to champion in this season, that life is sacred in every instance. The second is that God is just. God is a God of justice. Sure, he's got grace, he's got mercy, but he is holy and he is righteous. And I can tell you, I've been at a loss for words multiple times this week, many times while sitting down trying to write a sermon. And I just keep returning to this idea that, that, God, I don't know all things in every one of these instances. I don't know every detail. I don't have every angle, but God does. And I keep returning to just this scripture in Amos where it says, let justice roll down like water, righteousness like a mighty stream. And it sounds like the cry of a prophet or the cry of somebody who's, who's just worn out, like Habakkuk. But those are actually the words of God through his prophet Amos. It's the cry of God. God has a heart for justice, and when it's missing, he grieves with us. He isn't numb to it, blind to it, or deaf to our cries. When justice hurts, injustice hurts people, he hurts with them. You know, the peace of the gospel, ultimately, when we look at in light of eternity, is that everyone will be judged. And we don't have to take judgment or throw stones because God sees, God knows. God will call everyone to account. But God is just. God has grace. God has mercy. But he's also holy 
and righteous, and he loves justice. Again, that verse, let justice roll down like water, righteousness like a mighty stream. I don't even know how the justice needs to be applied, but God does. God does. The third and the one we're going to hit on for a while before we break to pray is that diversity is precious. You know, diversity is called to be the church's treasure. It's God's answer to the enemy's tool of division, unity and diversity. Revelation 7, 9 paints a picture of heaven, the final result of God's redemptive work on earth as a place that's diverse. Every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. My prayer for the church, my prayer for our church, is that we'll paint that picture here on earth. You know, God's vision is bigger than just seeing a bunch of individuals saved. Salvation may happen to the individual, but its call and its purpose is intensely relational. And again, where we see a line drawn in the sand between two parties of people, may we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is big enough for both sides, to reach both sides, and we're the vehicle he wants to use to do that. And once we've been reconciled, reconciled vertically, we're called horizontally. Once we respond to Christ's call to come, that powerful call in Matthew, another one we're going to read later in Revelation, we're commissioned to go, to fill heaven with souls that find Christ. But the diversity of heaven is only going to be reflected in his church if we embrace two things. And I want to speak on those two things quickly. And the first is this, that diversity requires humility. Diversity, victory against division, this weapon of the enemy, will only go as far as our humility carries it. In our flesh, we talked about it before when we talked about the family of faith we're called to. We don't drift towards diversity. We drift towards people that look like us, think like us, and make us comfortable. The gospel, though, drives us in the other direction. The decision is, is one, do I drift towards division or do I, I fight for diversity? But we have to realize that the battle is spiritual. You know, the, the one truth that we have to remember every day that's so important in this season is we battle not against flesh and blood. It's Paul's reminder to the church. It's his reminder to us now. In regards to our fellow man, again, any time where there is a us versus them, our call is to work towards we under the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, Matthew 5, verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Violence can be physical, can be emotional. Violence can be fought with words. It can be social. And violence always begets more violence. You know, if our words and our contributions in this season ultimately just lead to more division and, and, and lead away from unity, then we're a part of the problem. If, if we're more worried about making a point than we are making peace, then we're a part of the problem. If the only reason you listen is so that you can respond with a lesson that you want to dish out, then we're a part of the problem. We don't need monologues, which I get. It's ironic. I've been up here speaking for 15 minutes. We don't, we don't need monologues, but hear me out. We need dialogue. We need less Moments on a soapbox and more moments across a coffee table from somebody who thinks different than us, has different life experiences than us. We need less mic drop statements and more face-to-face -face interaction, again, with people who might have a different perspective, have a different life experience. You know, Jesus didn't say we'd be known by our moral superiority or the fact that we're right or we work with perfect logic. Those are all great things. But he said we'd be known by our love. And that love includes humility. You know, when Jesus interacted with the them, us versus them of his time, the, the, those people, the, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those people, the them of his time, it wasn't from a soapbox. It wasn't from a megaphone. 
It was at a table with them, in their homes, breaking bread with them, so much so that he was known as a friend of sinners. You want the heart of Christ? He defines it in his invitation in Matthew 11 as humble and gentle. What does our heart, what does our words, what does our interactions look like in a week like this week when division is, is, is wrecking shop? Are we walking in humility? Now, the other side of that coin, that's not to say that peacemaking is without tension. Uh, anytime you've, uh, anybody here ever had a disagreement with your spouse? Some of you are like, I have a disagreement with her right now. I'm not even going to raise my hand. Why would you ask that question? <laughs> but, but unresolved conflict. When you have a disagreement with your spouse, there's all, I know for me, there's this cloud of this has to be dealt with. Otherwise, there's just a cloud of division over our marriage. And, you know, I used to take that, that verse in Ephesians 4 literally where it says, don't let the sun set on your anger. So it's like 1 in the morning, and I'm like, we're not going to sleep, trying to argue logically. And, st- and like, eventually somebody with wisdom was like, no, that, that doesn't mean literally you have to uh, resolve it at 1 in the morning. It just speaks to the urgency of unity because there is urgency in unity. There's an urgency in peacemaking especially when you're talking in unity in the church among believers. Those tough conversations where you confront somebody on their beliefs, that, that happens in the church. You don't do that with people who don't believe because they're walking out their convictions. Maybe we walk in with as much depth in our convictions, and when we're not, that's when we need somebody to have a hard conversation with us. But it takes hard conversations and the tension that comes with it. We have to recognize that that tension in those hard conversations, in the moment it feels divisive, but really, ultimately, it's, it's addressing issues that heal division and work towards unity. For instance, racism. Just that word, saying it right now, puts us on edge. Just the word racism. We have to understand that to talk about issues like racism, it's not divisive. In the moment, it feels like it. But you're working towards healing a divide. That no matter how you think uh, things played out this week or why they played out like you, they did. It's, it's revealed this fact that there is racism in our country. We've dealt with it for centuries. It's a tool of the enemy to divide. Again, it's not a battle against flesh and blood. Racism is a sin issue. It's a heart issue. It's a spirit issue. And like any other spiritual issue in our lives, it takes accountability. It takes hard conversations. It doesn't go away by not talking about it and not dealing with it. But the ingredient that the church needs to bring to the conversation is heartfelt, gospel-fueled humility. Only then will we find the empathy we need to embrace the unity God wants us to have, the unity as his body of believers in the family of faith. Because diversity requires humility, but diversity also fosters empathy. We're called to empathy. You know, we, we live with blind spots. We all recognize this. I recognize that I have blind spots. You know, I, I was even talking to somebody this week about how I just realized over the years blind spots in my marriage where I need to do better in this area or I need to do better here because I have blind spots. And we realize when we have blind spots that I need to talk to somebody who has the wisdom I need to get over this blind spot. But, you know, sometimes we also need to talk to somebody who has the perspective we don't so that I can look with a bigger lens, a bigger perspective in life. You know, it's even... Again, ironic that I'm up here speaking. It's this moment about having one perspective because I only have one life's perspective. I have a very particular perspective based on my life's experiences. I lack the, the experience and the perspective of a single mother. I lack the experience and perspective of a, of a, of a military veteran. I lack the experience and perspective of somebody who's been adopted. 
I lack the experience and perspective of somebody who was either raised in great wealth or somebody who was raised in great poverty. But you know what? That's why all of those people in the church are a gift to the church. It's the gift of diversity and perspective. And you know what I also lack? I lack the experience and perspective of an African-American. And I also lack the experience and perspective of a police officer that wakes up every day to protect and to serve. I don't have those perspectives. You know, there's people in our church from both of the last two groups that the gospel declares are family with exhausted tear ducts and worn emotions after this week. And there are times where I, if I make principled statements out of my own limited perspective, I can further wound my own family. Trust me, there are times where I'm pained by what I see from the, the church in times like this. Again, people who are, are more interested in making a point than making peace. Where are God's peacemakers? But you know what I've also seen? And it encourages me like no other. It's people that, that'll say, either on social media, or I've just seen, heard conversations where, well, this is my stance. But you know what? I want to sit down and talk. And I want to listen. You know, I've seen that unprompted from so many people in our church, this campus, other campuses, saying, this is my stance, but you know what? I want to sit down because I want to hear your perspective. And that's, that, nothing makes me prouder as a pastor, more encouraged as a friend, because it's, it's what we need. And you know what? It's not about listening so that you can change your mind because you're wrong. That's not why you, you need to listen. It's not about changing minds. It's just about broadening perspectives. Because with an increased perspective, we can operate out of an increased empathy. We can understand more because we have a broader perspective. The more perspective you embrace, the more empathy you can exercise. We need empathy to fight division and to breed unity and to breed diversity. You know, our fight against division, our battle for diversity will only go as far as our humility and our empathy will take us. And again, you know, I really think that division's root is seldom hate. You know, I think even with racism, it's seldom hate. Sometimes it's just a limited perspective. There's certainly, when you talk about division in the world, there's hate-filled factions, groups of people in the world, sure. But I think more often, and in more cases, it's simply fear of the unknown, of what's different. But that fear is erased by empathy and humble understanding. You know, just to get practical and give an image, how many of you guys have heard of the talking stick? How many parents have used a talking stick? Really? Does it work? I mean, we're getting close. I need to know. Does it work? The talking stick. With adults. <laughs> so I'll wait till Titus is a teenager. Yeah. But those have been around for centuries. When the atmosphere was tense, when conflict was in the air, two tribes of Native Americans when they seemed at an impasse and they were at a cusp of war, they'd meet and break out the talking stick. And in a meeting, only the person with the stick could talk. They would share, possibly sharing the stick with somebody who could help voice their concern until they felt people fully understood their perspective. The focus was on understanding, not being understood. And because of that, real conflicts would come to light. Bitterness would be revealed. The talking stick reminds us of the power of empathy, that listening earns you the right to be heard. That genuinely caring is the currency for connection and ultimately the reconciliation we're called to be a part of. You know, if the church is ever going to overcome division with diversity, it's going to take people of the predominant culture passing the talking stick and humbly saying, what else don't I know? Again, I have blind spots. 
not just behind me, but in front of me. Because I have experiences I don't know about because I haven't lived them. But how does the gospel inform us as we move forward as a church? Because I don't ever want to preach something and not have practical steps forward. You know, one thing that's never going to change is we make much of Jesus Christ. You know, here's the truth about Jesus. Jesus knows about suffering. Jesus knows about injustice. Jesus knows about racial tension. He knows about being wrongfully treated. He knows about surprise tragedies. He knows our weaknesses, and he knows how to sympathize with us. Jesus knows how to show mercy to criminals. Jesus knows about living in a wicked world. Jesus knows about dying at the hands of wicked men. And lastly, he knows about the glories of heaven, where God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes, where there will be no more death, no crying, no pain, where every nation, every nationality, every race will find peace under his invitation. Again, we read the invitation in Matthew 11 and Revelation 22, 17. We see this invitation. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who's thirsty come. Anyone. You know, his invitation isn't just to suffering and tired saints. It's to a weary world. And again, his call to come. Once we've come, it becomes our call to go and share this invitation to a divided culture. He's big enough for both both sides, both groups, both factions. But the gospel should also inform our steps forward, how we walk, how we talk, how we interact in the weeks, years to come. You know, the God that Hebrews 4 says laid aside his divine perspective and entered into our human perspective so he could empathize with us. That God empowers us in grace to show that same empathy to our fellow man. The God that Philippians 2 said laid aside the privileges of divinity and willfully made himself our servant, valuing our good above his own. That God empowers us in grace to display the same humility to our fellow man. You know, if we could have the worship team come up again, we're going to save time on the tail end to to pray. Just to give you guys another thought, nugget, illustration to go home with. It's kind of goofy solely because it's, it's a llama. In, in South America, llamas serve as a cultural metaphor for pride. Because to keep a herd of llamas in check, you don't need a fence. You just need a rope beneath the head and base of the neck. Because rather than stooping low, they will stay where they are. They stand tall, but they remain captive. They're stiff-necked, literally. You know, some of us are hedged in by pride because we won't take on humility. We're living small because we're caged in by our own focuses and our own perspectives. Again, I've been at a a loss for words a lot this week, and I keep going back to verses or lyrics from songs. And one of the ones I keep going back to is is this lyric that says, spirit break out, tear our walls down. Spirit break out, tear our walls down. And in a week of division, I just keep coming back to that to the point where last night Steph was like, could you just shut up? Like I was just saying it so much, singing it, and I got no voice as you found out during worship. So she was like, could you just stop? But you know what? Sometimes it's not a wall that we need to break out from. Sometimes it's a simple rope. We just need to take the step of humility. You know, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, to close as we, just to save time to pray, 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, again, some people will say, well, that's a specific prophecy about, not about America, it's about a a specific people. But again, we serve a God who's the same 
thousands of years ago, yesterday, today, and forever. He still hears our humble cries. When we get on our knees and repent as a people and a nation, he still hears. He still cherishes those prayers. He still responds when we seek his face. So here's what I want to do. We're going to play one song, maybe two. And if we could stand, find a group of three, maybe four, maybe five if you're feeling frisky. But let's pray. I'm going to put a, a list of just things we can pray for on the screen. Just so we can be focused, you can pray for things other than that. But these three things, pray for our nation's police force. They need our prayers now more than ever. For safety, for peace, for strength and protection. Secondly, pray for leaders. Mayors, pastors, activists, whoever, who will channel righteous anger through peaceful outlets. There's a lot of anger, sorrow, grief out there. But it can be directed in the right way by the right leaders. Come on, pray for the church to extend Christ's invitation to come to all the weary and the burden. Again, we have to be courageous enough to believe that we have a role to play in this season where we don't just sit back and hope we walk in faith. We act in faith. So again, if we could stand, find a couple people, three, four, whatever you're comfortable with. Let's pray. The worship team is going to play, but let's pray. Our nation needs our prayer. We need prayer. Let's pray together. And if you have a word, you feel God's giving you a word that, that you think needs to be shared, just grab me. We've got the mic. If you got a word that you want to share, you can grab me.